Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. It is such a joy to be with you all this morning. Um, my name is Caleb. Again, I'm the student ministries pastor here. Thank you all for being here. I truly do appreciate that you all came out here for Youth Sunday and for our youth, supporting our youth and our graduates this morning. Um, what a beautiful day. Um, I'm just excited to get to share what the Lord has been putting on my heart these last few weeks. Um, but man, time is really flying. Y'all, I got here 11 months ago. That's crazy. Because I feel like just yesterday, it was my first day, July 1st, and they were like, all right, you're in the ice cream booth. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, ice cream booth. First day, we're going to go get ice cream from the marketplace in town? I was like, okay. And they're like, we're going to go to the booth. What? Okay. And it was pretty wild four days. I'll, I'll tell you that. It was, it was good. Um, the days fly by. It's June 5th. Um, and seeing Logan announce the ice cream booth, yeah, just made me tear up a little bit. PTSD maybe. I don't know. It was... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was great, though. I loved it. Um, and I'd love it if you guys would help us out. It's such an awesome fundraiser, and you really have a lot of fun. It's a good time to just get to know your church family because there's so many of us, and you just hang out for a few hours. Maybe people you don't even know. It's an awesome time. That's literally how I met half of you. So you should do it because it's a great, great opportunity. Um, but if you guys would open up your Bibles again um, to James 4, uh, just to give you some context here while you're pulling that out, James, uh, that's our passage this morning, will be uh, staying in this morning. And so uh, to give you some context, James is writing to Jewish Christian house churches here. Um, the people have been pushed out of their homes due to persecution, um, and they've moved all around Palestine and modern-day Israel. And James saw that many of them had begun to live in a worldly manner. And so there's a great deal of social-spiritual conflict, and James writes right into the middle of that to help people live well. And this specific pas passage is written to people who have gotten pretty presumptuous about life, we'll say. And James gives a strong warning in this text against leaving God and his will out of our lives. And I think that this is a really practical issue that we face in the busy world we live in today. Um, I don't know about you guys, but right now, pretty busy for like summer. Feels very busy. <laughs> And I know those of you who have kids in track right now, very busy. Those of you who have kids in sports in general right now, it's very busy. And uh, the truth is, suddenly youth sports have become professional athletes doing two-hour practices every day, tournaments out of state every weekend, and uh, we just live in a busy world. And the truth is, you're involved in a lot of things. And... Then you add work onto that. And it seems like these things may pull us away from what we should be doing. Because what kind of job doesn't have a boss that wants you to do more and commit more and be more and eventually we're booked up. We don't have any more time, right? And so James is writing about these issues going on even then, not youth sports, but you know what I'm saying. Whenever we make a decision, shouldn't we ask God, is this your will? Do I, in the process of planning my life, in the process of doing my life and putting all of the all of those things together, do I consider God's will for my life? And it's the context here that James is writing to. And so this morning, I believe that we are never more 
like Christ than when we practice humility before God. And in order for us to live humbly, we must put God's will before our own. And so in order for us to unpack that this morning, we're going to talk about what humility is and what humility is not. Um, and so let's pray real quick and then we'll, we'll get into our word here. God, thank you so much for uh, this day. God, thank you for just the beautiful uh, team we have here, God. Thank you for uh, the students, God, that um, have just been changed here, God. The stories, um, the different testimonies, God, that have been formed and shaped right here in this building, God, through you. Um, Lord, we pray that uh, this morning we would just find some real truth in your words here um, and that you would shape us, shape our hearts to be more and more reflective of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll open up this passage. We're in James chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 13 here. So it says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And I'll be honest with you, at first, verse 13 didn't really strike me as that big of a deal. If we can pull up verse 13. Uh, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. That doesn't seem like a big deal. And it might seem like I'm making it one, and I totally am. So it might seem that James is condemning even the short-term business planning, planning ahead. However, that's not James's concern here. In fact, both are really necessary in the business world, planning and scheduling. um, And the problem here is actually what's left out in their thinking and their planning. These guys plan thoroughly, if you you can read it. They give us the time frame, today or tomorrow, the location, such and such a place, town to town, Uh, We'll go to this city or that city. They give us a time frame. They give us even the amount of time they're going to spend there. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to sell and trade, networking, going to different cities. But as we see in verse 13, there isn't any unethical behavior or activity. James isn't anti-business or anti-planning or anti-profit or anti-administration. What's wrong with verse 13? I don't understand. The problem... What, what, is, what is he trying to point out here? And so what's wrong with that? Nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is what we don't see here. It's what isn't mentioned here. In all of their planning, in all of their scheduling, did you notice any mention of God? The passage shows these businessmen who think they're in control. Of quite a bit, actually. So let's just break down verse 13. Today or tomorrow. So they presume to be in charge of when they'll do things. Today or tomorrow. We will go. So now they're presuming to be in charge of their movements to this or that city. They're also presuming to be in control of their destinations and spend a year there. So they're also assuming control of the amount of time they're going to stay there and trade. They presume they'll be in control of what they'll be doing when they get there and make a profit. So now they're in control of their conclusions too. They'll be in control of their own success. And so this entire little snippet shows the arrogant desire for control. 
Um, and control, why do we want control? Because control feels good. Control is like a safety net until, it's, until we lose control, right? If you've seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, you discover this guy named George Bailey. And in the movie, he has this really famous line. I think it's famous. Maybe you don't, but I'll read it to you anyways. He says, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust off this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here, going to go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build big things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers 100 stories high. I'm going to build a bridge a miles long, a couple miles long. Do you see the presumptuous theme we're getting here? James goes on to rebuke this kind of person. But have you ever found yourself in a similar situation? Have we ever found ourselves like George Bailey or like the businessmen, relying on the promises that we've made to ourselves rather than seeking God's will for our lives? This is going to be a really controversial thing to say on Youth Sunday where we celebrate all these wonderful young men and women of God, which they are, absolutely. But sometimes we can look a lot like the presumptuous businessmen here in James 4. Some aspiring young person, when you graduate, usually says to themselves, I'm going to graduate with honors. I'm going to go to this sweet Ivy League school. And then I'm going to start my own practice somewhere. And I'm going to prosper. Right? Sometimes we do that. And... I'm going to obtain a degree. And we do this all the time around this time of year. And which leads me to verse 14, which says, Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? And James is right. Because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't even know what's going to happen 30 minutes, 30 seconds from right now. Hopefully not a lot. But <laughs> yeah, I, when I wrote that, I thought, what would happen? Why would you even? Um, we cannot know what will happen because we're limited. We're not God. We can't see around the corner. Have you made plans and then a plan, a plan fell through, especially in these last few years? We don't know what's around every corner in life. Our limited control is exposed because we can't even see what's coming tomorrow or 30 minutes from now. So if you're relying on yourself as your go-to option to run things through, you're in a rough spot. And when we think that we alone can determine the course and the path of our lives, we fall into what I like to call the boastful ditch. Anybody ever gone in the ditch before? I have not, but I know a lot of people that have. Not the boastful ditch, maybe, but real. Sorry. All right. Um, and when we think we alone can determine the course and path for our lives, we, t we end up in that boastful ditch. We see this attitude of pride from King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4.30. He said, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The passage continues. In verse 31, Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you to acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Probably James readers who are professing Christians were not as crazy as Nebuchadnezzar 
in proclaiming his own arrogant self-sufficiency, but it is possible for a Christian to fall into practical atheism. And where he or she proudly thinks, I have decided to do this and nothing's going to stop me. I'm a, I'm, I'm a man of strong will. Anybody know any strong-willed man? I know some strong-willed men. <laughs> My dad is a strong-willed man, I'll tell you. This leads us to the second half of verse 14. Because if we continue in verse 14, not only are we limited in understanding the future, but James come, just comes out and says it. Our lives are short. Verse 14 says, You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Isn't that an encouraging word this morning? <laughs> Thanks, Caleb. So encouraging. I'm a mist. That's you. <laughs> not, no, you're not. It's, I'm a mist. No, you're, you're not an unbreakable steel beam. Well, this was a really depressing message. Um, I'm way more than that. No, it's, it's this. That's us. In the face of eternity, this is us. Ready? You? Me? Us. That's it. We're just a, just a mist. Sorry, Andrea, I did take this from you. All right. A lot of people never think deeply about their own mortality. But you really are. You are. I am. We are. Spray, we're missed. You are not in control. No matter your age, no matter your position, you're not in control. We don't have time on our side. Life goes by so fast. Time really isn't on our side. We're just, a, I'm not even going to do it. I'll do it again if you don't. Time is not on our side. We See how fast that was? Disappeared. You're not in control. No matter your age, you're not in control of your life and your future is not guaranteed. What James is saying is, people, let your mortality, let your limitations drive you to humility, humility before God. Have you ever gone outside in the middle of dead winter in Minnesota? It looks a lot like this. Every two seconds. You breathe in, you breathe out. There's a mist that disappears. It vanishes quickly. And you can breathe again, but you're never going to get that one back disappears. It vanishes quickly because life is a vapor. We should humble ourselves before God and obey his will. Therefore, it's important that we make the most of our opportunity right now to honor God, serve others, and proclaim Christ in that. And so our time on earth is brief. Don't just spend time. Humbly invest that time. The proud man also mistakes its own importance and significance. We do have importance. We are significant to God. But that significance comes from God. We're significant to God. On our own, we're nothing. This fact is presented powerfully by Psalm 8, especially in verses 3 through 5, which really just celebrate the magnitude of God and the triviality of man in comparison. Psalm 8, 3 through 5. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, 
and you crown him with glory and majesty. Notice how man shrinks to insignificance when compared to God, compared to the greatness of God. Notice how also in verse 5, where man regains his significance, you crown him with glory and majesty. Not because of who he is in his own right, but because of who God is and what God has done. God crowns us with glory and majesty. It almost reads like James 4.10, chapter 4, verse 10. It says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. We need to realize that we are small. We are small before God. Our lives are like a mist. And we only find meaning, purpose, and greatness when we find them in God. Our lives are like a mist. We only find meaning and purpose when we find them in God. That's it. That's the only place you're going to find it. And the issue being highlighted here is one of self-sufficiency and arrogant presumption. This life is not the main event. And sometimes it's hard to remember that, especially in times like this. But I want you to know this life is not the main event. The main event is eternal life. That's the main event. Why is living humbly so important? Why does practicing humility matter? As a prerequisite for building a relationship with God. Humility is like one of those required classes you have to take in college before you can take the upper algebra three or whatever. That's what humility is like in your relationship with God. You have to have humility if you want to get anywhere else. If you want to get into that next course, you better have humility. You know, the ones you didn't choose because they're not as fun or easy or as relevant as the other classes. And if you kind of, if you mess up in the, in the humility class, you have to take it again. Those of us who have lived long enough in Christ know that humility is not an option. <laughs> humility is not an option. We don't really have a choice when it comes to humility. It's required by God. So we can humble ourselves. We willingly posture ourselves before God without pretension and without pride. Or we can do it the hard way, experience pain in our lives as a result of pride, which eventually leads to humiliation. In other words, we can be humble or we can be humbled. And I've been humbled and I don't recommend it. But in, it, in fact, it may be true that one cannot be humbled before God until one has been humbled by God. Can one receive salvation without humility? No. Can one develop in character, love, be reconciled to others, or worship God without humility? No. This is why humility is such a high value in God's economy. Let's look at verse 15. Let's go to verse 15 in James 4. Verse 15. Here's where we really get a glimpse of humility in action. We get a glimpse of God's providence. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will live. Because remember verse 15, or verse 14. What is your life? What is your life? It, it's short. It is. It's short. And it's not in your control. Live is a powerful word in verse 15. Every breath you take is decided by the Lord. You are created by God. He sustains you. You are his masterpiece. He has total governance and providence over each of our lives. And if the Lord wills, we may do this or that. 
Or we may do that. We may make a profit. Maybe we'll trade, but it is determined by the will of God alone. In fact, that's why you hear people say things like, if it's the Lord's will, that is not something we just say to sound nice. That's a real reminder that God is in control. If it is the Lord's will, and it's a good reminder to say it out loud. Don't say it all the time. It's a little weird. Not every time. It's not pushing like a superstitious thing where if you don't say it, it's not like that. It's a gratitude thing. It's an attitude of humility. It's pushing that attitude of humility by the will of God. In fact, it's why you hear people say things like, if it is the Lord's will. And so you don't have to say it every time. But when we choose to ignore all of that, we decide, no, I myself will control whether or not I go to such and such a place. I control every breath. I control whether or not I do this or that. I control whether or not I make a profit. In verse 16, James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. He's talking about verse 13 here. James says, all such boasting is evil. Not bad, not less than ideal, not a bummer, evil. It is evil. As you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. It is evil to depend on our own plans and boast in what we can do with our own strength, power, and plans. So we should not boast in our accomplishments. We should humbly trust the Lord and live a life of obedience to God. Because your life and your plans, they belong to God too. Remind yourself and others of that. The Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to say if the Lord wills a certain amount of times a day, but I want to give you some spiritual homework to do. This week, if you don't already do this all the time, because I know a lot of people that do, but if you don't already do it all the time, try finding at least one time a day to say, if the Lord wills. Okay? Hey, Mom, what's for dinner? If the Lord wills, meatloaf. <laughs> if the Lord doesn't will... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> will you be able to make that meeting tonight? If the Lord wills, I'll be there. This Lord willing mindset says, my life belongs to God. He is in control of my life. Because of that, we can follow in the example of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. To be humble is to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. He existed in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. Instead, he took the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He came in the likeness of men. Philippians 2.8 says this. And being found in the appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. He didn't value his own self-importance or honor. He freely gave it up in every situation so that God's will could be carried out and our own reputation and God could be glorified through his life. If we are of that same humble mindset, and we are going to forsake our own reputation and honor in order to be obedient to God's will and God's word, we will be able to make unbelievable change. Great revival. Jesus died so that we can have a meaningful relationship with him. So we can be in partnership with him. Now, if we continue in James 4 here, we're going to go into verse 17. 
And it seems hard to connect with what James, it's, it seems to connect with what James just said. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So the only way I can know good is through God's word, right? This is where we find good. This is the only place we find good. It's through God's word. And the only way I can desire good is because he's shaping me into the image of Jesus, the only one who is truly good. What can we do with this text passage today? How does this apply to us today? It's through Jesus that we begin to see humility exemplified. James has now urged each of us to take the Lord into consideration in all of our planning. Therefore, we have no excuse in this matter. We know what we are to do to fail now to do it. James wants to make clear his sin. Godless planning is not just bad planning. It's sinful planning. It's unholy planning. It's an insult to God when we do life with no thought of him. So James isn't calling people out for planning. He's pointing out, I know, I love, I'm, I'm not a great planner, but I respect all of you that are, and I'm so happy for you. I'm not super great at it, so you're not, I know I'm probably not your favorite person in the world. For If you're a big planner, you're like, this guy is terrible. I'm just kidding. But godless planning is not just bad planning. It's sinful, unholy planning. It's an insult to God when we do life with no thought of him. So James isn't calling out people for planning here. He's pointing out that they were boasting in their independence from God. James calls them out, basically tells them, realize your self-sufficiency is inherently self-insufficient. And I would love to offer a few key things that we can take away from this passage. The first is that we need to slow down. We need to slow down. We need to take each day in. If you're so very busy, it may be best to slow down for a little bit. Because the enemy is not afraid of your busy schedule. The enemy is not afraid of your busy schedule. It's not the busyness he's afraid of. It's a man or a woman who listens to God's voice. That's who the enemy is afraid of. And whatever decisions you must make should include God. We must be grateful that he wants to be included. Let us consider our lives as a gift to be used to glorify God. Make God your go-to person. That's the next thing. Make God your go-to person. Every day, seek God first. Grow in your dependency on God. Our lives are limited. Our lives are limited. I'm not even going to do it again. Our lives are limited. That's why we need to connect ourselves to the eternal God who's been and will be forever. Seniors in the room, what I'm asking you to do today is make plans with God. Let God guide your decisions about who to date, who you marry, what job or career you choose, or how you plan your day or your week or your year. And if the plans change, you will still know that God is in control. And all things work together for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Closing, closing here. You've heard the word of God this morning. We've seen the example of our Savior in humility. We've concluded that we are never more like Christ than when we choose to live humbly. And won't you follow that word of God? Deferring to God every moment of every day. Letting God be infused into all that we do and all that we are. I would encourage you to write down some ways that you can rely on God or you've been relying on God and you depend on him every day. Or write down some ways that you'll begin to rely on God. James wants us to humble ourselves 
to let go of that false control that we think we have. God has determined that we should seek him. God has determined to build a relationship with us. We need to be determined to acknowledge him and commit to him and love him and live humbly before him. It's a blessing to know that God is in complete control, isn't it? Oh, can't even imagine. We can have assurance that no matter what comes our way, nothing happens beyond what God allows. There's a saying that goes, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. 